Good evening, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program, sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Good evening. Thank you for joining us tonight for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program with our host, Pastor Matthew Recker. Can you hear us out there? We're just checking on some technical difficulties right now. Hopefully you can. My name is Micah, and I'm the ministry assistant at Heritage, and we are coming to you live on this Sunday evening. So tonight... Our phone lines will be open, and I'm getting a thumbs up that you can hear us, so that's great. So our phone lines are also going to be open for the hour. So if you have questions or would like prayer, you can give us a call at 929-333-3739 throughout the hour. Pastor Matt, it sounds like they can hear us, so (laughs) we can just move forward with the program. So this week, we are just one week away from restarting our Heritage Discipleship Institute for the new semester. So can you tell us a little bit about the two classes that you're going to be teaching for spring? Absolutely, Micah, and thanks for asking. Our Heritage Discipleship Institute meets on Monday night, beginning at 7 o'clock. At 7 o'clock, we're going to have a class on the Holy Spirit, which is so important that we understand the third person of the triune Godhead. And then at 8 o'clock, we're going to be continuing with church history and have a fourth semester. And we're going to talk about great men during that era, like William Carey, the father of modern missions, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, and talk about the great battles between fundamentalism and liberalism in the early 1900s, which gave us such things as the Schofield Study Bible, and then also talk about the rise of the Pentecostal movement in the early 1900s as well, and get a historical understanding of of the Pentecostal movement. Mm. So it should be a very interesting uh, class coming up. And we'd love to have any of our listeners join us. You could go online and you can join us on Zoom and audit the class or take the class. We have had listeners as well uh, come in person. They can come in person to our office at 633 3rd Avenue. Mm -hmm. And we'd love that for for that to happen. Yeah. And we also do have, so our two panelists tonight, they're actually from our HDI (laughs) Institute. God bless you guys. How's it going out there? It's a pleasure to be here. Good. Yes, God bless you as well, Pastor Recker, and we appreciate you having us on. Yeah, well, thank you for t- thank you for taking the time uh, to be with us. So there is, um, Pastor, there is an echo going through as we're talking, um, and they can hear it. So, Andrew and Isaiah, can you just make sure everything you have is the volume is down? Or... We we have a, a headphone piece that connects two pairs of headphones. Should we take that? And just separate and put one pair of headphones with yes. one ear each. Yes. Yeah. That? Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. That just That's stopped true. whatever was going on there when they when you when they unplugged that. Yeah. Uh, sorry for listeners. This is really uh, a, a little bit different for us tonight, having <laughs> these kinds of technical problems. But um, why don't we do this, Micah? Why don't we read our passage of scripture tonight okay. in Romans chapter ten to try to keep working through this passage we're going to be looking this evening dear friends in romans chapter 10 verses 14 to 21 as we continue talking about the gospel of the righteousness of god and this passage emphasizes for us how we need to be willing witnesses for jesus christ and how 
and how without the witness of God's people, without us opening our mouths and sharing the gospel, people can literally not be saved because how shall they hear without a preacher? And they cannot believe except they hear the message of God's word. So we're going to read Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse number 14. And can you hear me out there now, Isaiah? And Yes, we hear you. Okay, okay, good. So now we're, we're, we're through. We, we don't have any of those complications that we were having before. So I think we're right on target. So, Micah, if you could start reading at verse number 14, and then we'll just do the Scripture reading down to the end of the chapter. Okay, Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Okay, uh, and Andrew, if you could read verses 16 and 17, please. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, do not Israel know? For, for, for first Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Okay. Okay, dear Lord, we just thank you for tonight, Lord. We thank you for another opportunity to have a conversation about your holy scriptures, Lord. And we do pray, Lord, for the technical difficulties, Lord. We pray that they be finished for the hour and we can have a good talk with Andrew and Isaiah, Lord. And so we just ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this passage deals primarily with Israel's responsibility to believe the gospel. But it applies to all souls everywhere. And every man, every woman's responsibility to believe the gospel and then to bring the gospel to others. So here's a great challenge in this passage for all of us to see the importance both of believing and then once we believe of giving the gospel to all the nations of the world. And as we mentioned, it is a joy to have two men of God with us, a father and a son. What a blessing to see a father bringing up his son for the Lord, and to have these two brothers in Christ with us, Andrew and Isaiah Teal. They are members of the Emmaus Road Baptist Church in the Bronx, led by Pastor Ben Hamilton. And they're also students of our Heritage Baptist Church Discipleship Institute ministry. So that's what really brings them onto our program tonight. We've got to know them through our institute classes. They're great students with us. And so thank you again, Andrew and Isaiah, for being with us this evening. Thanks, Pastor Eckert. Thanks for having us. Thank and, you. And I know that you can't be with us because, Andrew, you have a, a large family and you have to take care of the children up there and you couldn't 
kind of get away with the child care and things. So you are joining us online this evening on the on the phone. But we can see them in the studio, dear friends. They're on Zoom here, so we can see them. And we can also hear them as they communicate with us all over their telephones tonight. But as we begin, Andrew and Isaiah, could you just briefly share with us a testimony of how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviors? Okay, and Andrew, why don't you go first? Uh, yes, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Record. Thanks for having us. So about um, the end of 2008, going into 2009, I was working, truck driving job, and a brother that I was working with, uh, Brother Elijah, he began sharing the gospel with me. We developed a relationship, developed a friendship. He would challenge me on the language I was using and um, the music that I was listening to. And it just, I would work with this brother every day, and he would sow seeds of the gospel into me. And um, at the same time, I, I met another brother, Brother Angel. I was looking for a barber at the time, and um, I met Brother Angel through a mutual friend. And so he turned out to be a Christian as well, which I didn't know. So I would go see him for a haircut, and he would say, you know, hey, God bless you. You know, how you doing? And so now I'm going to work. Brother Elijah is giving me the gospel. I go to get a haircut. <laughs> Brother Angel is giving me the gospel. And it's just it's, it's a blessing how God did that. And, and I was just a wretch at the time. I was addicted to drugs that's considered legal now, and I would advise all brethren to steer clear of it. And I was a slave of sin, like Romans 6 mentioned. You know, Jesus says, whoever practices sin is a slave of sin. A slave doesn't abide forever, but the son abideth. Therefore, who the son sets free is free indeed. Then that job let me go in the summertime, July of 2009. And by God's grace, I was scrolling. And, you know, brothers and sisters, be careful scrolling, because technology could be a blessing, and the enemy could use it for other things as well. And I scrolled up upon some sermons. And um, praise God, it was godly brothers declaring the gospel, and it brought back to the remembrance everything that Brother Elijah and Brother Angel had shared. You know, scriptures like Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, um, it's like we work and we earn wages. Well, that's what sin is, and it's, a payment is required, and that's death, separation from God, and, and I began to get convicted. And uh, John the Baptist was another one, Matthew 3, 2. He was repenting and said, repent. He was preaching and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that means change your mind, a turning in your mind, which results in a change of action, turn of direction in your life. Uh, Matthew 7 was another scripture that really convicted me. Enter ye in the narrow gate, for wide is the road and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And so as I meditate on these things, God began to deal with me. And um, I realized that I, I was a lost sinner. And, and right there, at the time, me and my wife, we weren't married yet. Isaiah was about three years old, and I was on unemployment. So in between looking for work and coming home at my mother-in-law's apartment, I was just listening to these sermons. And then one day I just cried out to the Lord. Mm. And um, I, I realized it, just like the scripture we're listening to today, Romans 10. You know, my girlfriend, who's my wife now, was on the road to leave me. I don't blame her. I don't want my sons to be the guy that I was. I don't want my daughters to deal with a guy like that. And I just realized where I was. I needed the Lord. I was convicted, and I confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus was Lord, and, and he saved me. I told my wife about it, 
and she was in utter shock. Mm-hmm. She began listening to sermons with me, began going to church with me. And then a year and a half later, so I was, that was the fall of um, 2009. A year and a half later, 2011, the Lord saved her. And then we got married, and it's just been a blessing. Amen. Wow, that's a powerful testimony, Brother Andrew. It's it, The hounds of heaven were after you for sure. God sent witnesses to you. Their names were Isaiah and Angel. That sounds <laughs> like they were straight sent from heaven to you, brother. The Lord loved you, didn't send you just one witness, but two to really give the gospel to you. Isaiah, could you share a brief testimony as well, how you came to know the Lord? Yes. So both of my parents, by the time they were saved, I was pretty small. So I can pretty much say that I was raised in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. And from a small age, I've been involved in scripture reading. I've been going to church. I've been involved in prayer with my parents. But during this time, it, um, I just felt like these things, I was just supposed to do them. But I didn't have my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I wasn't yet saved. So eventually throughout the years, we joined Emmaus Road Baptist Church. I heard the word from Pastor Ben. I was continuously hearing the word from my parents. I heard the word from speakers at Christian camps I attended, and God allowed these different methods to convict me that I'm still a sinner and have to have my own personal relationship with him. So after being convicted, I called upon Jesus, and I asked him to forgive me, and that's when I was saved. Amen. That's wonderful, Isaiah. And you're a young man, in a senior in high school this year, correct? And want to go on yeah. and continue your studies in college. So what a blessing to hear of your desire to follow the Lord and to that you know you're saved. And let me just encourage, if there are any listeners in the Bronx, to visit Emmaus Road Baptist Church. They meet on Sunday at 3960 Orloff Avenue. And that's Bronx, New York, 10463 is the zip. And their services are at 1045 on Sunday, 1045 a.m. Wednesday, 7 p.m. And their website is EmmausRoadBaptist.NYC. Pastor Ben Hamilton in the Bronx. And um, what, what section of the Bronx is that in, Andrew, of Emmaus Road Baptist? What section of the Bronx? That's the Kingsbridge section. Okay. So it's it's off of um Van Cortland. Okay. All right. So you, you those of you who live in the Bronx know that area. And if you need a good church, definitely you want to visit Emmaus Road Baptist Church. Now you guys also started coming to our institute classes and just could you just share v- very brief like what you have found encouraging or helpful about the Heritage Discipleship Institute? Oh, a huge blessing. I mean, you, the classes we took, like popular survey of the Old Testament, you learn of um, historical, doctrinal, Christological uh, purposes of those books, practical applications, so it really enhances your Bible study. And then with the church history class, guys like Luther, Conrad, Grable, John Knox, and others by God's grace who helped spread the gospel, and they endured severe persecution. So it's a motivation, yeah. you know, to really press in and live and live for the Lord. Amen. Okay, and our listeners, we do invite you, to, if you feel led, to join us at the Heritage Discipleship Institute. And even Isaiah, you took a class. What, what, did, what was your overall sense of the Institute class that you took there, Isaiah? Well, first of all, the class, it was, it was fun. I learned a lot of new things. And 
It was also encouraging because I learned through this class a lot about the early church leaders, the Anabaptists who were willing to take a stand for Christ by preaching against the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And they would continue doing so, following Christ, no matter what persecutions arouse, even if it meant death for them, really. And also the popular survey of the Old Testament was a blessing, too, because we just learned so much about the different books of the Bible and key figures there. And this showed me that by digging deep into God's Word, we can find the hidden truth is that lie within it. Amen. All right. Amen. Thank you so much. That's really encouraging. Well, this evening, now we're going to get into Romans chapter 10, just these verses, 14 down to verse 21, and we're entitling this section, Willing Witnesses. And Paul, in this passage, gives us a brilliant, backward sort of challenge to us as God's people to be willing witnesses, and he's asking questions. Paul often does that. He asks questions, and he quotes verses, doesn't he, Mm -hmm. from other passages of Scripture. Paul is saying here that certain things must happen if people are going to be saved, and willing witnesses are a part of that. Remember, Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. God could use angels. God could use messages in the sky if he wanted to, but the Lord has ordained for witnesses with feet to carry the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. So Paul emphasizes the importance of believing. One must believe to be saved. But before that, he said there must be a hearing. But before that, there must be a proclaiming of the gospel. And before that, there must be a sending forth of those to preach the gospel. So it's almost like a backward challenge. As he begins in verse 14, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And so before somebody can call, they have to believe, right? So, uh, Andrew, as we get into this passage of Scripture, Paul writes how if anyone is going to call on the Lord, what must first happen here? What must first happen if someone is going to truly believe in Christ? And, and who can believe? That's an important question as well. Who can believe? Uh, yes, very good question. Anyone can believe and call upon the Lord for salvation. Romans 10:12 says if we back up a little bit for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him so our race culture or background does not matter anyone can call upon him notice in verse 12 it says the same Lord over all mm-hmm. so even though there are many people who have not submitted their lives to Jesus Christ he's still Lord mm-hmm. and Philippians 2 de- declares that Philippians 2 shows us that every knee and, and um will bow and every tongue is going to confess either in praise and adoration or in anticipation or in shame and humiliation. Hmm. So anyone can call upon the Lord uh, and be saved. We see in Matthew 15, a Gentile woman from Canaan, she came to Jesus, remember, concerning her demon-possessed daughter. Jesus tells her, I was only sent, yeah. sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she agrees with him. And then he says that, you know, the um, children's meat can't be given to dogs. She still agrees with him and says the dogs lick the crumbs from the master's table. He commends her. This is a Gentile woman. Mm-hmm. So um, anyone can come to him and be saved. And what must happen prior or before before calling upon Jesus, a person must believe in the true person and work of Christ. They must believe that he lived a perfect life and fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, which none of us could ever do. That's why he said in John 19.30, it is finished. 
You know, so a person and, and a person must also believe that he's the only way to be reconciled to the Father, as John fourteen six says. So you know, in yeah. essence, that's what it boils down to. Yeah. So what what Paul is really getting at is it, it, the calling on the Lord, verse number thirteen, is that moment of salvation. That's that moment that they they actually are born of God. That they're saved when they believe and they call, and and whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what must happen if they're going to call? They first have to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Micah? Yeah, so I just think that these verses, 14 to 15, they're pretty unique in that they lay out this general, the stages of how someone actually comes to salvation because it is a process. Now, we know that that process can be really quick, as we sometimes see in the book of Acts, like the centurion Cornelius and his household. You know, that was very, very quick. But there still are steps. And as you mentioned before, Pastor, this scripture comes just after the verse, which says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so... Paul explains that those whosoevers who then call on the Lord, they must have a basic level of understanding who Jesus is in order to believe. In other words, you can't call on someone if you don't know who they are. That's right. And somebody, if they do not believe in the true Jesus, and Andrew, as you mentioned that as well, they can't, a person cannot believe in a Jesus of their own imagination. Mm-hmm. They must believe in the Jesus of the Bible. They cannot believe another Jesus. Paul uses that important expression in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I believe verse 3. And other religions have another Jesus and that's the that's the burden of my heart as well. And we're not here to criticize other religions, but the fact is is that Islam has another Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's not Lord. Right. Jehovah Witnesses have another Jesus. He's a created being. Yeah. Even Roman Catholics have another Jesus. They make him into a wafer of bread. But Jesus is bodily seated at the Father's right hand. So we must believe in the true Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah, did you want to add to that? Yes, I would like to go back to the question, who can be saved? So um just wanted to say that there may be many wicked people in our world who do evil to an extreme extent. Mm-hmm. We may be tempted to believe that it will be impossible for them to be saved and believe in the gospel because of their character and who they are. But then we, we could look at the Apostle Paul, who was a persecutor of the Christians, and he was greatly feared by the followers of Christ. But God saved Paul and used him to preach the gospel throughout much of the known world during his time. And God inspired Paul to write the majority of the New Testament. Yeah. And two, and let me say this about belief. Belief isn't just believing about someone. Mm-hmm. Believing is trusting in someone for, and, and here we're talking about for eternal life, for salvation. We're trusting Jesus Christ to get us out of this life into heaven on the basis of who he is and what he's done. In other words, I believe that there was George Washington. Yeah. I believe in Abraham Lincoln. I believe in Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. I never met any of those men. But I'm not trusting them for anything in my life today. Mm -hmm. I can respect them for what they've done in the past and honor their, their, their work in history and to the building of our nation. But I'm not trusting them for anything. So when we say believe in Christ, we're trusting him to save us. And and so that's that's the important thing. So Isaiah, as we move through this in verse 14 as well, as it, it moves, then how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And then he kind of goes backwards. 
How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So Paul goes backwards. So what must happen if someone is going to put that personal faith in Christ and believe in him? What is that? What must happen before they can truly believe? Well, first of all, that person must first hear the gospel from a preacher which God will appoint and send. And that's really just one example of how we can hear the gospel. So we could go to church. We can hear the gospel from TV, radio stations, online articles. My dad, for example, he listens to um, sermons on YouTube. We could read books that explain the gospel. And these are really just a few ways that we could get the word. And I have a verse here, um, Job 33, verse 14, states that for God does speak now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. So God has different methods of giving his word to us. Then Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So this verse right here, it gives further emphasis that in order for us to believe in the gospel, we must first hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, brother. That's so true. That's why it's so important that we share the gospel. Not mm-hmm. every time we give the gospel is someone going to believe, but they cannot believe if they do not hear. I like Acts 18 also, where it says, many of the Corinthians hearing believed. So if they didn't hear, mm-hmm. they couldn't have believed. But because they heard, they were able to believe. And Andrew, you shared in your testimony, what a great testimony, how you heard the gospel from those hound dogs of heaven. That's what I call those those brothers, Angel and Isaiah, I believe. And then Isaiah, you heard the gospel from your dad. I heard the gospel from a, a guy when I was at Clemson University as a freshman college student. I heard the gospel from a guy just started knocking on my door and telling me about Jesus, uh, uh Alan Trefsker. Mm-hmm. And Michael, who did you hear the gospel from? You know, I grew up in church, so I think I heard it from the minute I was born. Yeah. <laughs> from <laughs> so, your dad and from, from my your dad, mom. my family, yeah. my church. Yeah. Yeah. And did you want to add as well to this conversation? Yeah. Well, no, I just think it's so it's so it is so great that we have this living testimony of Andrew where, you know, it was a truck driver, a barber, you know, these men shared yeah. um, the gospel with him. But then he didn't necessarily come to Christ immediately as, you know, the barber was sharing the gospel with him, even though his name was Angel. Um, but it, it was like he he understood by the time he did accept Jesus Christ, he actually did understand the gospel. And I think it makes an argument against what we would know as easy believism. You know, I've definitely sat in churches where in the services you sort of hear like a watered down message and then they do an altar call. And it's like there are people raising their hands saying they want to be saved, but the preacher had never even explained it. So I would just say, you know, Paul is arguing against that. He's saying that you do have to actually understand. And so I love hearing Andrew's testimony where he heard it from multiple sources. He was watching sermons online and then he came to this moment where he actually was saved. Yeah. And dear friends, maybe you have been hearing the gospel and now you're ready to believe. Or maybe you just need to have a better understanding of the gospel. We have some call screeners here tonight. You can give us a call right now at 
We would love to hear from you. We'd be honored if you were to call us. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you're sure you're not sa- you're not sure you're saved, but you just want somebody to pray for your soul. Or maybe you say, I've been hearing and I'm ready to really put my personal faith and call on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. We have call screeners that would love to talk and pray with you tonight and lead you to Christ even at 929-333-3739. And so we're talking really about how people need to hear the gospel. And Paul is now, he gets into this, well, then and how shall they, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Mm-hmm. And so preaching is so vital in this, in this whole process, isn't it, Micah? Yeah. And preaching is something that is dear to our hearts as Christians. There's so much about preaching, about preachers in the Bible, and some of the greatest men in history were preachers, if you will, of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And whether, you know, I mean, you talk about this truck driver and a barber. They Mm -hmm. were preaching the gospel. Amen? So they were first. William Carey, the father of modern missions, was was a a shoemaker. But he Mm -hmm. said, I just do that to pay the bills. God's called me to preach the gospel. Paul was a tent maker, Mm -hmm. but he preached the gospel. Jesus was a carpenter, but he preached the gospel. Nehemiah was a wall builder, Mm -hmm. but he preached the gospel. Mm -hmm. You know, so, I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm preaching here, but... (laughs) Can you share, Mike, a little bit of how what preaching is, why it's important to you, and and yeah. even how you've grown? Because God has blessed you with the preaching ministry and preaching skills as well, and you, you're such a blessing in our church every time you preach. Just share a little bit about preaching. Sure. Well, Second uh, Timothy four two says, "Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine." and the Greek word for preach here, it actually means to proclaim openly, to herald, to publish. So in that sense, each one of us, pastor, is called to make that faithful proclamation of God's inspired word to those people that are put in our path. And that's what we're talking about tonight. So specifically, um, you know, and our intention in those cases is to persuade people like Andrew in 2009 to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and then to become conformed to his image. But, you know, there's also the sense of preaching that's the more formal sense from the pulpit of a church. And this is done to edify the body of Christ on a regular basis. And good preaching, it should be encouraging. It should be uplifting. It should be convicting of sin and enlightening. And it should bring us closer to Christ and lead us to live more like him. So just on that personal note, you know, you've given me the opportunity to preach in our church several times, and I really appreciate it. And I just know that every time I've prepared and delivered a message, you know, I'm the one who's most transformed because not only do I have to plant myself so firmly in the word of God, even more than usual as I prepare, but I also have to really rely on the Holy Spirit to give me the message and the words. You know, I don't go into a sermon being like, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do. It's as I'm working through it that the Holy Spirit shows me things and, in you know, like highlights certain things that, you know, certain stories, certain testimonies every single time. So I just really have to rely on him. So I know that by the time I've preached that message, I'm the one who's the yeah. most changed. Amen. That's true. And that's how it, and then that leads to change in others. And preaching isn't just imparting information, it's bringing about life transformation through the proclamation and the persuasion of people with the Word of God. I like what Philip Brooks says. Philip Brooks said that tr- preaching is truth poured through personality. Mm. And that's good. Andrew, did you want to add to this? 
Yes, yes. Um, praise God to what you brothers just said. Um, very good stuff. Preaching um, is declaring the truth about God as revealed in his word to the lost around us. That could be family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers. And it's extremely important because it's the method that God has chosen to communicate the truth to, to the lost. You know, we have 1 Corinthians uh, one twenty to 21 that says, where's the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching mm. to save them that believe. So worldly wisdom can't save souls, but biblical preaching empowered by the Holy Spirit can lead and draw lost souls to Christ. Amen. Isaiah, did you want to add to that? Yes, I would like to refer back to the Great Commission, which Christ gave to his disciples in Matthew 28, starting at verse 19. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whosoever, whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. So that verse right there. It gives further emphasis of the importance of preaching. And really, if we want to reach those people that are all over the world, we need to we need to do what God said. We need to preach. That's right. Share share the gospel. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. There are going to be people in your pathway that you alone will be best equipped to reach because God has put you there in their life. That barber could have thought to himself, I'm just a barber. I, I, I don't know how to preach the gospel. But God put Andrew in the pathway of that barber, and he took the responsibility to share the gospel with him. And that's really powerful. So what are some other examples of preaching in the Old or in the New Testament? And why don't we just share an example of preaching in the Bible that stirs your soul? Michael, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to uh, Isaiah. Yeah, well, one amazing example in the Old Testament, it's found at the end of the book of Ezra, where the people's grievous sin and intermarriage and idolatry is exposed. And so Ezra, who's a priest and a scribe, he's astonished. These people have, you know, they've gone right back to the same sin that led them into the Babylonian captivity in the first place. So he rips his clothes, he plucks out his hair of his beard and he falls to his knees to confess before the people and it's not a traditional sermon per se but there's this large group of people who are gathered around him as he prays and as they listen to his words they're totally convicted and by the end of that prayer you know they come in true repentance and it's a beautiful thing to see you know at the end of the book of Ezra the people have committed their lives or some of them probably have recommitted their lives to follow the Mm -hmm. Lord yeah and can I also say this There are various elements to a worship service Mm -hmm. that are absolutely important, Mm -hmm. like giving, like singing, like prayer. Um, There can be testimonies as well. I mean, these are things that are actually biblical and elements of true worship. Mm -hmm. But the most important element of true worship, I believe, is preaching. Because you mentioned that that from from Ezra, mm-hmm. and you go to Nehemiah, what's at the center of those worship times was the preaching. Mm-hmm. And look at even Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters of a sermon of mm-hmm. Jesus. And now we have a, a, a chapter of his prayers. Praying is absolutely vital and important, both personally and publicly. But there's something even about preaching that is at the center and is at the heart of a worship 
service. And so that's why we have sermons in the Bible by Peter, by Paul, by Nehemiah, by other 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 men like you mentioned Ezra. And so that's so interesting. So Isaiah, what's another example of a preacher that has stirred your heart as an example from Scripture? Well, I, I have here the prophet Joel. He's an example of preaching God's word as well. And in Joel chapter two, verses twelve to thirteen. He gives a call of repentance to the people of Israel. So starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. And Joel, he even later on states in verse 20, the reward that Israel will receive if they do turn from their sins says here, but I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hindered part toward the utmost sea and his things shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. And what's amazing is in verses 28 to 31, he even states the reward that the descendants of Israel will receive when Christ returns to the earth during the end of times. It says here, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall pro- prophesy your old men, shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids, in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Yeah, Amen. And that sermon was so great, God sought to repeat it through Peter in the book of Acts. And so that whole section is repeated by Peter. Andrew, were you going to talk about Peter also? Yes. Okay. Yes. What did you want to say about preaching? Um, well, praise God, son. That was, that was great. That's good stuff from the prophet Joel. Um, Peter in Acts, I love that sermon, Acts 2, um Chapter 2, verses 1 through 41 is too long to read now, but um, he preached a message that was powerful that resulted in 3,000 souls being saved. And in verse 15, he clarifies that him and the 120 that were praying and speaking in tongues, which is an unlearned languages, were not drunk, but that it was a fulfillment of the prophet Joel, who um, Isaiah just told us about. Then in verses 21 to 36, Peter says that whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He tells him, Jesus of Nazareth, did miracles and wonders in their midst, that they crucified and slain him with wicked hands, and that God raised them up from the dead and made that same Jesus Lord and Christ. This is amazing, considering many in this crowd was probably just demanding, had just demanded Jesus' crucifixion. Mm. So where Pilate, when Pilate said, I'm innocent of his blood, the people said, his blood be on us and on our children. So this is a, a huge challenge and encouragement to us that no matter how tough or hostile people or circumstances may be, we must, by the grace of God and power of the Spirit, preach the gospel. Yeah. And you know what preaching often did in history, both in the Bible, in the, the lives of the apostles, in the life of John the Baptist, in the life even of Jeremiah? Mm. One of my favorite sermons in the Bible is in Jeremiah chapter 7, where it's called Jeremiah's Temple Address. He is preaching to the people right outside the temple, and he's pointing to the streets, and he say. Don't you see what they're doing on the streets of Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah? 
and he talks about how the people were gathering cakes and they were worshiping the queen of heaven and not the God of heaven. And he was rebuking them for their idolatry and their immorality. And that preaching instigated persecution against Jeremiah. Mm. And that's often what preaching has done. It has stirred up persecution against the people of God. And that's why, to this day, many times we're, we have a tendency to not want to share the gospel because mm. it might put us in hot water with people. Mm-hmm. It might turn people against us. Mm-hmm. So, dear friends, here's my challenge to you. Maybe you know that you should be a witness for Jesus Christ, but you know if you witness to those around you, your family, your friends, they're going to turn against you. Don't be afraid. Share in love. I'm not saying to be belligerent or arrogant in, in, in any kind of way, but to be kind, but to share the gospel. And don't be afraid. And if you need prayer about that, we would love to pray with you tonight. Give us a call right now at 929-333-3739. We have call screeners here who would, who would just pray with you, encourage you to be bold and to be a witness to your loved ones, to your family, to your friends, and not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So give us a call. I know, I know there's somebody out there who is, they're they're shy. Mm -hmm. They know they should witness, but they're not. And you need prayer. So let us pray with you. So give us a call right now. 929-333-3739. Okay, that's great. Those are some great examples of preaching from the Bible. Ezra, Joel, Peter, Jeremiah. So Isaiah, as we look now in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 15, and we're talked about the preaching, how shall they hear without a preacher? Then Paul says, how shall they preach except they be sent? And as Paul goes on in that verse, why do you think of all the body parts of the preacher, God pinpoints not the eyes, not the hair, not make, hey, make sure you got the right hairstyle, man. <laughs> but he says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. So how does the gospel get preached? That's the question, Isaiah. And why do you think God pinpoints the feet as beautiful, not the mouth, the eyes, or the overall physical appearance? Well, the gospel gets preached by someone God appoints and sends out to preach his word. And there are many examples in Scripture of people God appointed to preach, such as Jonah, Elisha, Jeremiah, the Apostle Paul, and there's much more. And it may seem strange that God pinpoints the feet as beautiful above every, every other body part, because feet, naturally, they get dirty. They uh, they get all sorts of issues and stuff. Smelly. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but God is not referring to how they look or their outward appearance, but its usage and what we use them for. We use our feet to travel, to go to places that we want to. And if we want to spread the gospel to someone, our feet play a major role in helping us get there. Yeah. And if you need a spiritual podiatrist, go to church. In other words, if if you're having difficulty (laughs) carrying the gospel, you need a spiritual podiatrist. You need to get your feet looking beautiful. You know, I'm not, you're not going to get your, what do they call that when you get your toenails painted? Yeah, we're not going to give you a pedicure, (laughs) you know, but you need to get your feet on fire. You need to get fire under your feet, Micah. Yeah, 
Well, I you just said fire under your feet, and I think there's a lot of idioms even in our English language that mention feet. You know, I I was going to do something, but I got, but I got cold feet, oh, yeah. or I keep meaning to do something, but I'm dragging my feet. And oh. the point is that action it starts with the feet. And so Paul is quoting Isaiah here, reiterating that preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus it only happens when one takes action and they take action first with their feet. You know, as we mentioned, there are steps to the stages of salvation. And at the front end of that process, it's a preacher taking that first step. Yeah. And, of course, he says how beautiful are the feet. Those feet might have had bunions and corns. And the feet, the toenails were all, you know, mangled (laughs) and hardened. Or maybe their toes were bent. He's not talking about the actual appearance, but he's talking about the purpose and how those feet, as Isaiah, you were saying, it is the feet that bear the message. And those feet that do that, he says, how beautiful. You know, in a world that is so, we're so infatuated with beauty in our society, aren't we? God's view of beauty is quite different than ours. Mm -hmm. So what God sees as beautiful are those who bring the gospel to others. That is beautiful to God. Let us be beautiful to the Lord Jesus Christ by preaching. And Jesus was a preacher as well. So as we continue now into verse 16 and 17, Paul again quotes from Isaiah. And he quotes from the great chapter of Isaiah 53, where he says, For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? And just after this, He responds with one of the powerful verses, one of the off-quote verses of the New Testament. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Andrew, talk to us about this response of who hath believed our report and who has believed the gospel and why Paul responds with that great statement of verse 17. Uh, Yes, yes, it's a great statement indeed. And he emphasizes this because receiving and believing the gospel requires faith. And faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, as he mentions. And, but in verse 16, he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. He then quotes Isaiah saying, Lord, who has believed our report? You know, in the gospel, if you guys remember, Jesus would say, whosoever has ears to hear, mm-hmm. let him hear. So we must pray to the Lord to give us ears to hear so that we can take in the word of God and place our faith and trust in Christ and all those who are lost. Because without that, many reject the gospel to their own peril. This also reminds me in Acts from chapter 7 when Stephen was addressing the high priests and religious leaders. He was preaching and they were convicted. And Acts 7.54 says they were cut to the heart. They, they and, and instead of taking that conviction and placing their faith and trust, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They stopped listening to Stephen. You know, and it's just, yeah. um, it's unfortunate. Yeah, the Word of God, it did. It cut them, and it brought them deep conviction. And what I love, too, about that verse 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The word for word there is rhema, which speaks of a specific verse of Scripture like what Stephen was doing in that message in Acts 7. He was giving specific scriptures. 
And it's those specific scriptures that God puts on a person's heart to share with other people that God will use to convict and bring people to the Lord. So be sensitive, and if God brings a verse to your mind to share with somebody else, that's the word that you need to share at that moment. And faith can come as they hear that word from God. Now, in verse 18, Micah, Paul continues quoting Scripture. He quotes Scripture after Scripture as we continue down and conclude in Romans chapter 10. And here he quotes in, in verse 18, where he says, Have they not all heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. He's quoting from Psalm 19, verse 4. So why is this verse important? And what is the reason you think he introduces this verse here? Yeah, well, I think it is incredible. You know, when you look at Psalm 19, the Psalm of David, and you go back to the beginning of it, um, King David, he indicates the source of the communication. And in, in this case, it's the heavens. You know, Psalm 19, one says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And so as the chapter mm-hmm. goes on, this personification of the heavens, it continues making the heavens themselves like heralds of the good news. So essentially, David is saying that the declaration of the heavens are the message from the creator that has gone out to the whole world. So Paul has compared the spreading of the gospel from the Old Testament prophets. Now he compares the spreading of the gospel to the natural revelation of creation. The gospel is going to go throughout the whole earth, much like the sun, which comes up in the east and sets in the west. It's light. It covers the whole earth. Amen. Because God does love the world, doesn't he? Isaiah, did you want to add to that? Yes, I'd like to say that Romans 1, 19-20, it gives further emphasis about the natural revelation that God has given us. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Oh, sorry, this is verse 18. Let me start from 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And I would like to refer to a book I have. It's called Eternity in Their Hearts by Don Richardson. Mm. And in this book, Richardson, he demonstrates how God reveals himself to people through natural revelation. And he, Richardson, he studied different cultures around the world of whom most never even heard the gospel, and they have no access to Bibles at all. And yet these people have come to the belief that there is one true God, and having this belief has prepared them to hear the gospel, to be saved. Hmm. Amen. Yeah, praise God. Through creation, God speaks nonstop to all the nations and every person in the world without any partiality. Hmm. So as Romans 10 concludes, Paul shares two final quotations, one from Deuteronomy and then from Isaiah. So first in Romans chapter 10 and verse 19, and Andrew, we can go to you on this. Paul quotes from Moses from Deuteronomy 32, 21. And I'll read the from Romans. And if you want to read from Deuteronomy, you may. But Romans 10, 19 says, and did not I say, but, but I say, did not Israel know? For Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, And by a foolish nation, I will anger you. So what does Paul tell us by using this verse in Deuteronomy?
They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God, idolatry. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy. This is De- I'm sorry, this is Deuteronomy 32, 21. Yeah. With those who are, which are not a people, I will provoke them to anger with the foolish nation. So basically, post this verse, because many of the Jews of his day heard the gospel, rejected it, and were disobedient. In the same way, the children heard the word of God from Moses, but were disobedient and turned to idolatry. And he addresses this in Romans 3, 1 through 2. Paul asks, what advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? And he answers in verse 2 and says, much every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. God gave Israel the commandments, the patriarchs, and Moses and the prophets declared that the Messiah would come through them. And in spite of all this, they rejected and disobeyed God. As a result, God appoints Paul to preach the word to the Gentiles, and this is to provoke them to jealousy, resulting in them drawing back to God and believing that Christ is the Messiah. Yeah, thank you. Our time is really limited. So, Isaiah, did you want to just make a brief comment about from Romans chapter 10, verse 20 and 21? We just have a few moments. Yes, these verses state how God has found the nation of Israel, and he reached out his hands toward them when they were not looking for him and were living in their disobedience. And Romans 3, 10 to the 10, sorry, Romans 3, 10, verses 11 to 12, um, let me read that real quick. It says here, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Thank you. Thank you, Isaiah. I'm going I'm to let uh, Micah have the last word. The music's playing. They'll the, be over in a moment. Yeah, it was such a blessing to well, have you guys on. Thank you for having. Thank you for being on. I just think this chapter ends with one of the most tender acts of human affection. God is saying he's like a father, reaching out his hands mm-hmm. to embrace his children. And the natural response of the children is to run into the arms of the father. But Israel has not done that. So this father, God, is saying he's going to go for another people who are not his people and provoke his true children to jealousy. So that is how this chapter ends. Yeah. And dear friends, the truth is that God has sent out his word. And then God stretches out his hands and he says, come, believe and love me. He's worthy. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another Heritage of Faith conversation sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church. Until then, rejoice in the Lord.